Welcome to the Zoom Out Podcast. I'm Tim Niemeyer. I'm joined today by Joachim Book. Joachim, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm glad to have you on. Uh, for those that don't know, Joachim is a writer, researcher, and editor on all things money, finance, and financial history. He holds a master's degree from the University of Oxford and has been a visiting scholar at the American Institute for Economic Research in 2018 and 2019. And for those who might know, he also has a special place in my heart as he is the editor of my book, History Echoes Bitcoin. So, uh, man. Yeah, we got it here somewhere in the Bitcoin. Yes, that is a very, uh, very substantial library you have there. What percentage of that would you call economics? Um, all of it. <laughs> oh, that's right. right. So, economics, man, all of it. No, most of it. Like most of it is economics, financial history, monetary history, how central banks operated today and in the past, things like that. The Bitcoin shelf is still a little bit small, this one here. <laughs> so, so I know you're good at writing, but you need to write more. You know what? I'll, get, I'll take that as a challenge, and I'm going to get on that. Good. Um, yeah. What got you into economics in the first place? Because that is not oh. something that usually people say, you know what? I want to study the economy. Yeah, actually, I, I, um, about 10, 2012, so 14 years ago, 12 years ago, um, I felt like an idiot. That's the short story. Like I, I legit couldn't understand what was going on. I remember, I remember reading an article in the Financial Times, and it had to do with the Euro crisis. I think that was the big thing during the time. Oh yeah, yeah. that European countries and their uh, public debt problems and things like that. The euro might collapse. That was the sort of fear that we had in the early 2010s. And I felt that it was important. It seemed like an important thing. I couldn't understand anything. And again, I was reading this article seriously trying to understand what was going on. And I didn't understand. Like they were talking about debt and where it came from and how governments acquire it and what they're doing in macro management. And I was like, what? I, hadn't, I have nowhere to place it. And I have nowhere to understand what this, what, what, what's going on. No and context so at all. That's basically when I, when I realized, fuck, I need to study this. And when I started studying it, there was no looking back. There was just like an endless, endless plunge into fascinating things and how money works and how finance works and how banks work so that was like the rabbit hole before the bitcoin rabbit hole yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah, you had already also, been when did you find bitcoin um yeah i have a long and troubled history with bitcoin and i fought it for a long time i think a lot of legacy people who come from legacy e economics and legacy academia and places like that they fight it harder than you know the plebs um so I fought it for a long time. I first heard about it in 2015. Uh, my, my, my claim to fame is that I knew Stefan Levera before he got cool. Uh, so um, I, I used to live in Sydney and we were buddies back then. Uh, oh, wow. Stefan Levera, for those that don't know, he's a great uh, podcaster, really uh, deep into Austrian economics and also the very technical aspects of Bitcoin. Yeah. Definitely check out his podcast. Go ahead. Oh, so he definitely, he definitely ha has a... Um, Forever, he's going to have the I told you so on me. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no. So uh, I was very interested in central banks and monetary policy, things like that. And I heard about it in 2015. And I was like, you guys are like crazy. Like, this is just techno babble and like, crazy libertarians. Nobody's going to go for this. Like, go away, guys. Like, I didn't see the point at the time. Like, we had like the problems that central banks had in the mid 10s. It's hard to believe right now. But the problems that they had then was that they were trying to get the inflation target up to like inflation wasn't at 2%, it was 1.5, 1.2, and they were doing everything they could to get it up to 2%. And here comes all these crazy libert uh, libertarians and Bitcoiners screaming about, you know, 
the coming hyperinflation. And you're like, dude, they can't even get the inflation to 2%. What's like, stop. Uh, the fiat rails work great. My MasterCard is awesome. You know, like I can pay with PayPal and Venmo. I don't need you. <laughs> I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't see a point with it for a very long time. So if, you were to, if I were to think the average American, you know, is my audience, but there might be some around the world. Uh, most people don't understand economics like you did before you started studying it. And they hear the word inflation. You mentioned the word inflation. And you and I, I feel like we have a deeper grasp because we've been studying Bitcoin for a while. And, you know, I didn't go to college for economics, but I was a shade tree. You know, I, I read a lot uh, before I got into Bitcoin. So I was kind of primed. Even then, I still had a basic understanding like of what the media thinks inflation yeah. is. So could you maybe very generally kind of describe the difference between the common conception of it, inflation and what you might believe inflation really is without uh, getting too deep yeah. into it? There are levels to this, right? The, the, the standard distinction is the standard story that we tell is that price is increasing, you know, and that we have a CPI basket or some, some, um, some collection of prices that increase together. And you're like, oh, look, inflation, something is more expensive today than it was, you know, last year. Sometimes you even get that in specific, you know, there's energy inflation. It's like, no, what does mm. that even stop? Uh, so inflation is the idea that all prices are increasing at the same time. And originally, if you go back 100 years or so in, in, in economic literature, inflation was used to mean the expansion of the money supply and the increase in prices was just a symptom of inflation. So, so inflation, with the word we use today, is the consequence of the process the word used to mean back in the day, basically. Right? So this is an endless source of confusion because then you know gold bugs or bitcoiners or other people say inflation and they mean an expansion of the money supply. And you know, the legacy economist or somebody on the media would say inflation and they mean prices increasing. So it's the difference between like uh, the symptom and the cause. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Uh, but then, and so then, and when you talk about the prices, you get into this endless debate over, okay, which prices are we accounting for housing? Do we take like how much the average person's spending on groceries? A poor person, somebody who has a family. Like all of a sudden, we get into this weird trade-offs. And and the way that statisticians do this is that they do a weighted average of the of the things that people buy. So when people buy more of something. They put more of that in the in the basket, and if they buy less of something else, they take that out of the basket. Um, so that's it. That's similar to like the whole like the average American household is two and a half kids. There's no such thing right. as a half. Well, I mean, there might be, but you know, yeah. half a kid. It's like it's yeah. an average. It's not the actual. Yeah. Yeah. The average the average human being has one breast and one testicle. Like, yeah, that's not that's not a helpful statement. Go away, guys. <laughs> so. So the, now that I've been um, into Bitcoin for five, six years, whatever now, I have a hard time going back and understanding why the mainstream media says that inflation is a good thing. Now, mm. I know it as, well, it makes it easier to incur more debt, to take on more debt, right? Yeah. In the short term. I mean, you're, we're robbing Peter to pay Paul. We're borrowing from the, our future selves kind of thing. but I. That's not the narrative. Can you yeah. even conceptualize why they say it's a good thing? Like almost uh, steel man their argument? Oh, I can steal the man their argument and give the actual economic reason for why it's 
the economic story for why it's a good thing. I, I don't think that's what the media generally gives you. Like, no. The media generally okay, so gives you some form of boilerplate that, you know, it makes economic transactions easier and it makes um, people, it makes it easier for people to earn an income and like get ahead of the, get ahead of their payment and not. But that's not true. Uh, I mean, there's something in, if, if you Google this in, in, in the economics literature, it's something called monetary misperceptions. It's one of the reasons why inflation works. So just go back to basics, right? Imagine we add a zero to every single bank balance and uh, outstanding banknote or everything, you know, every number just times 10, right? You earn 10 times more in, in, in dollars. There are 10 times more dollars outstanding. Your debts are 10 times as much. Everything just increased by 10 by tomorrow. Everybody knows this. And tomorrow this happens, but nothing is going to change, right? Like we're just going to have a bigger number, but we're going to consume exactly the same things and our debts are going to be exactly as hard to carry or pay off, uh, right? So like there's no effect by just changing the number right? that. So, and the same thing goes for a small number of, of inflation. If we know that there's going to be 2% inflation in absolutely everything, everybody understands this, it has no effect. It does nothing, right? So the only way that inflation actually impact something is if it's not expected so people don't know that it's happening but then you're benefiting the people who knew or who took you know advanced um uh, actions or hedged their bets whatever over people who don't know um usually that means you're helping rich people over poor people but that's a, that's a separate issue mm. um, or you're fooling people differently in a different way and that's what monetary misperception is so Monetary misperception is when somebody who's selling something suddenly gets more revenue. You know, they're like, wow, we have so many clients now. And they think that means that there's an increased demand for their product, but it's just an increased amount of money in the system. So they start producing more than is optimal. So they're overproducing, basically. And they're producing more than they would have under a, a correct money. So, so the money fools them into making more stuff, working so, harder, so doing more things. In a way, it's like pushing harder on the gas pedal to increase uh, the speed, but at the same time, you're running out of gas quicker. Yeah. In a way, yeah, yeah, it's like it's almost like the meter, the gas, the, the the fuel meter wouldn't move. Like you do this, and the fuel meter doesn't move down. Like it just stays where it is. You're like, awesome! I have this much fuel, fuel, and I can keep going at this speed. It's like, no, <laughs> there's a hard stop where the where the fuel actually <laughs> runs out. It's not going to work anymore. Um, so there are a lot of these things that, that inflation does that's a little mischievous, that it's, it tricks people into behaving differently. And I think that's the, that's the really evil part about it. Well, and one thing that's kind of gone un, sort of said but unsaid or unfocused on is that with this style of monetary policy, I guess is the correct term, mm -hmm. It, it's controlled. It's there's a group of people that have the ability to press on the gas or lighten up. And I, I, I mean, I know my take on it. Um, do you see anything wrong with that, or what yeah. might be some ill effects of that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So just just a couple of I think last week I don't I don't know exactly, but there was a Fed there was a Fed meeting, and there were three people in my um, like intellectual um echo chamber i guess like bitcoiners sure. and macro analysts who all separately identified that 
what are you doing? So Jerome Powell comes out, has a press conference, tells everybody what the decision by these 12 people behind closed doors, what the decision was, and some take some question from, 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 from journalists, right? It's all a little bit theater, right? Like he tells them sure. what the decision is. They ask some questions and he deflects the questions. And you're like, okay, what did we get from this? What are you guys doing? <laughs> this is ridiculous, right? All three of these people, like famous Bitcoiners and, and macro analysts, they just identified, hang on, he isn't really saying anything. Like he says, we will cut rates if and when we're confident that inflation is, is, is coming down. Okay. And then like somebody from New York Times asked, okay, what would like, what would that look like? You know, like what's, what's something that would make you confident? And then he like hand waves and, and, and goes on and doesn't give you anything. It's not like he says, oh, when unemployment is 2.57, we will do this. You know, like there's nothing, there's nothing tangible. There's nothing, whatever. Just like, oh, it's all data driven. It's all uh, uh, when we're confident and whatever. <laughs> and there's a beautiful quote by Milton Friedman. I'm going to butcher it, but it's from, uh, from the 70s or something. And he's like, yeah, that's not a monetary policy. That's just a dude saying, <laughs> that's a dude telling you what the policy, that's not a policy. I can look up the rate, but that's not a policy. <laughs> um, so one of my favorite quotes is from, uh, from John, John Vallis. He's a Canadian Bitcoiner podcast. Oh, yeah. dude. Brilliant guy. And he says something like, Bitcoin is a vote of no confidence in discretionary monetary policy. Okay. So vote of no confidence means that you, you just, I, I, I don't think you can do this anymore. I'm out. You know, this, mm-hmm. this is wrong. I, 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 I do not want to comply. Like when you do a vote of no confidence for, a, for somebody who's sitting, who's in office or a prime minister or something, that's saying, I don't think you can do the job anymore. Get out. Yeah. Uh, discretionary monetary policy is this thing that we, that, that we run in the 21st century. So that's monetary policy made by a bunch of people at their discretion. Like there's no rule. There's no rule that says we need to uphold the gold standard or we need to do this thing or whatever. It's this, it's up to their discretion. They can follow the rules. They can overshoot the rules. They can do whatever they want. Right. So Bitcoin is a vote of no confidence in, in discretionary monetary policy because um, we don't think that it's capable. And it's not the guy in charge, right? It's not a presidential like we just need to vote in somebody else and then have somebody else replace Jerome Powell and run the central bank. It's the central banking itself. We don't think somebody can do it. Like let's get out. You can't have that. So Does there's that a couple things. Yeah. <clears throat> there's a couple things there to me that's important to like touch on. One, the fact that it is a human, and humans are fallible, mm-hmm. and he has a lot of incentives, a lot, a lot of pulling, a lot of different um, connections that are pulling him in different ways to make that decision, yeah. which might not be the best for everyone. Yeah, it might. And the other part is that those people that are pulling on him are the the wealthy or the powerfully politically connected. And they're the ones that get benefit, like you mentioned earlier. Um, I don't think we really need to dig into Cantillion effect, but basically that's what it is. Those that are closer to that money spigot are the ones that benefit more. So by his making his decisions, he's affected by that. And it's, he's more likely to help those guys out that will help him. Right. So, when you say that vote of no confidence, when Bitcoiners make this sort of argument, I'm always a little bit skeptical, right? Because it's 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 harking back to this, you know, like secret people make, making decisions in a back room, and they're like all screwing us over. Let me get my tinfoil hat here. Yeah, it's a little tinfoil, right? And it's really hard. To, it's really hard to uphold conspiracy. They usually break, fall apart because you know there are too many people involved and information leaks and whatever. Um, okay. So like when there is a something that looks like a conspiracy, I tend to default to thinking that this is just like 
selection or outcome of what of a process and you know i don't think so much as incentives right yeah everybody's incentivized like if i come home hammered my wife's going to react differently than if i come home and like put the kids to bed right so i'm incentivized so you're right that there are a lot of different incentives pulling at him yeah but i'm not i'm not trying to go for the conspiratorial route is just pointing out humans are fallible and they are more likely to make decisions not just off of just basic math let's just say yeah yeah i think that but i think that also goes to the the vote of no confidence thing that it's it's not the person in charge like it's not we can put an angel in there central banking is still not going to work very well like it's not it's not the person like i don't blame him personally what's he going to do you know like he's you know imagine you're march early march 2020 and like the bond prices are collapsing everyone's worried about invisible enemies it's like what do you do you're in charge of the central bank and the money's bigot. What are you going to do? Like, are you going to uphold some responsible monetary policy because you think that's right? No, you're going to do everything in your power to save, you know, the markets and bail out everybody you can. Um, well, and so that, like, that's a valid point. Then you, but, but, but it's like, there's no way for him not to do that, basically. Um, and he can always spin that in, in or they can always spin, spin that in stories of, you know, oh, the market wasn't functioning and we need this and we're supporting the American people, yada, yada, yada. Um, well, there, there was another point in there, though, <clears throat> that you keep coming back to the central bank, mm-hmm. the person or group of people. And when you talk about a vote of no confidence, while that's true for Bitcoiners, it's also the vote of confidence in a system that's not centralized, mm-hmm. that's, yeah. that's decentralized. And, and maybe you could speak to that, like, what would be the benefit of another system that doesn't have that centralized control? Yeah, so one thing, like there, it's easy to point out all the costs and the problems with a system like that. That's what legacy economists and media media personalities do all day long um, when they talk about Bitcoin anyway. It's like, <laughs> except when they proclaim that Bitcoin is dead, which happens rarely these days. You know? um, it's going to happen again. It's been a while. I haven't heard Bitcoin is dead in a while. <laughs> true, um, true. Um, it's a little harder to point out the benefits unless you're in a shitty monetary system already like it's very easy to point out the benefits if you're in nigeria or you know south africa or you're in belarus and you're an activist or of some kind like very easy like nobody can take this from you nobody knows you have it somebody else from across the border can send it to you like those are crazy good benefits for a random pleb normal person in the west under a semi-functional monetary system it's harder it was definitely harder in the 2010s when I first heard about Bitcoin because everything everything seemed to work, right? You're not feeling the pain. You're not feeling the pain. Like even if they expand the money supply at five six percent and prices increase by one and a half or two percent, I don't really feel that. I get a wage hike eventually. I maybe I own some 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 stock and I own a house or my parents own a house and then they increase the prices of the house increase and like I don't feel like I'm worse off. When we do ten percent, all of a sudden everybody feels it. Like well, and it's kind of going to that whole uh, frog in the frying pan thing. You know, if you start the temperature slowly, the frog won't notice and won't jump out. Yeah. So that's us in the West. Like Google this. (laughs) Frogs don't actually do that. Google this. This is a myth. It is. (laughs) Yeah, they just get out. (laughs) I think maybe not a frying pan because it's direct touch, but like maybe the water. I don't know. The idea is that you know you're not going to react to the stimulus if it's. Yeah. If it's just a slow increase, but uh, I'm going to Google that yeah. now because I've been using it my whole life. 
See this, everybody. This is why he's the editor. This, he's got he's got this. Yeah. I also I also wanted to remark on your 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 uh, mentioning of Cantillon. His name is Cantillon, and Bitcoiners say Cantillion, like billion. Really? Yeah. English uh, speaking Americans, you know, we we butcher yeah. stuff all the time. I butchered your name probably horribly. No, it's fine. It's also it's also so funny. It's it's such a good indication of how long they somebody has been in um, in how long they've studied economics or economic topics or whatever. When they show up and they mispronounce Keynes' name, or they mispronounce like they're like, "Oh yeah, this Austrian economist, economist Ludwig von Mises." I'm like, "Yeah, you haven't uh, been around for a long time because his name is Mises." Like, stop. <laughs> test. There you go. Yeah, and like profile one on one. Silly things, right? These are sort of silly things, and yeah, yeah, names, whatever. But at some level, I I tend to think that they are my task to. I take I take I take them on my shoulders, and I kind of want to fix that. Partly because, like, legacy, like, it sounds like it's super superficial. It doesn't have a purpose, but it does because legacy economists and legacy media would laugh at you if you don't pronounce the name right, or if you don't like sure. spell things properly, or if you don't use hyphens the way that you should. Whatever. Like, people just look at them like, "What is this idiot? Like, he can't spell. He can't pronounce the name. Like, presumably, all the rest of the stuff that he says is just nonsense." So sometimes I, I feel like my task as an editor of, of, of a lot of Bitcoiners' work and in this space is to just like make stuff it, it, it it's a purpose of hygiene basically make stuff readable make stuff like approachable for 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 everybody else so they can't like they have to engage with what you're actually saying not just like oh look he can't spell oh he doesn't know how to say Mises' name right right uh, well, yeah. where were we sorry uh, I interrupted no you. no that was great and I, I i'm just having flashbacks to the the book editing process because there was a lot of things like shit i was way off on that <laughs> but i appreciate that i, I needed that lot. happens a lot man like i'm working with with two guys right now i'm not going to dox them but they like they just write that you know the fed has a has a gdp growth target like no would you get that like the fed doesn't have a gdp growth target <laughs> they have an inflation target and they have a mandate to like keep inflation low and the unemployment high and you know uh, financial stability things like like there are all these like very basic things that bitcoin is just like have an idea like for some reason they got it into their heads that oh this is how it works or you know jimmy song had an article like <laughs> um uh called called something like taxes or revenue theater and he just like oh yeah we don't need taxes and taxes don't pay for anything because the government just prints money for things i'm like Okay, I've heard this story before. It comes from MMT. Stephanie Kelton says this all the time. Very strange that Jimmy Song is wanting to be that, but okay. Oh, and then you yeah. look at the numbers, you're like, what do you even mean? Like, the government taxes, you know, 60% of its income, 70% of its income is taxed, and the rest is debt. Even if you counted all of the debt as money printing, which it isn't, it's like, it's not revenue theater. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> why, why? And, and like, Saifedina says some said stuff like this. And yeah, Bitcoiners just say random shit, and I, like, so again, this sounds like a silly thing to, to, to remark on, but I think it's one of the big reasons for why legacy economists don't take Bitcoiners seriously. Because they just spout out shitty things that aren't correct. They're like, okay, so they don't have a clue, right? So in that, in that I'm going to go ahead and spout out some stuff and I want you to correct me. <laughs> yes. Please. Um, something Bitcoiners believe is that this whole idea of inflation is kind of BS. Mm -hmm. um, and that with Bitcoin being, I'm not going to say deflationary, I'm going to say disinflationary. Okay, me. more accurate, okay. yeah. Um, being disinflationary, that's better for, I'm going to be as general as possible, so <laughs> uh, 
for societal growth mm. in terms of um, not being saddled by increasing debt. Yeah. Where is first of all, is that accurate? And second of all, what are you, what is your take on that? I think you can make a case for that. Like, yeah, I don't. If you wrote that in a in a in a book manuscript or an article, I wouldn't scratch it out. Like that. It's okay. Not, um, there's a lot of nuance there, and especially around sure. the words you were using. That it's like it's better for societal growth. Like, what is that? And that's mean? a yeah. That's huge. That's loaded. Yeah. But, and even the growth part is not that easy. Like we can say economic growth, but maybe then spiritual growth or community isn't like community is not working or something like that. You know, there are always some interpretations of why that doesn't work. A lot of, well, a lot me... of East Asian countries that grew rapidly in the, in, in, in the last couple of decades, for instance, a lot of people there talk about, you know, how family bonds have, have deteriorated and communities don't work very well. You're like, okay, we got economic growth, but we ruined something else, right? But then we can say- So trade-offs. didn't work. Yeah. There's no such thing as a solution, only trade-offs. I'll buy that. What about um, the trade-off? Let me get more specific then. I strongly believe, and I and this is anecdotally, I mean, I don't have any hard evidence to support it, but the idea of the inflationary system leading to a high time preference mindset. And for those who don't know what I'm talking about, it's talking about like the immediacy of filling your needs, I guess is a way to say that. Yeah. And a low time preference mindset, which Bitcoiners tend to believe the system of Bitcoin, the disinflationary nature we are lower time preference. We're planning for the future. Yeah. Um, that kind of thing. Where where do you fall on that? Yeah, I like this idea a lot. I think it, I think it's hard to to condense it into a single thing because I can be very quantified. Yeah, that too. But also, like in one behavior, like if I go to the gym, right? That's a very low time preference behavior because I suffer right now, and I'm gonna get stronger and better at something way into the future. Not next month. Not next week. You know, like years. My body gets stronger and I'm able to carry harder, heavier things and I can run for longer and things like that, right? So that's a very low time preference thing. And then maybe I go to the store and I see some chocolate cake and I'm really hungry and I buy the chocolate cake. That's a very high temper, high temper, high time preference thing. Like, why couldn't I resist this chocolate cake that I don't need, you know? So the, I think the stuff I get now, the, the pleasure I get from it now it, it, this, the trade-off is like down the road, you're going to yeah. be in worse shape. Yeah. And like, I think it's, it's, it's sometimes we, we, we just throw this thing. Like, I think it is better for most people to live with a line, low time preference mindset. If in some kind of like objectively speaking, or if we just like reasoned about things, but we all like go buy that chocolate cake and then it's a spectrum. Yeah, it's yeah. a spectrum, and it, wherever that midline is, yeah. maybe just like shade to the low time preference. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's stuff that I like to do. You know, I'm getting ready to go down, um, travel out of out of state with my friend this weekend to go watch a concert. Yeah, and I, I enjoy that. I'm not yeah. I'm not saying save everything for your future generation and suffer now. That's not yeah. what I think I'm going at. But yeah, I mean, I but, like, what's the joke in Bitcoin land? It's like we still have chairs. You know, <laughs> why haven't you sold all your chairs? <laughs> <laughs> My business, exactly. what are you doing? Man? Sit on the floor. Um, but then, but then for us, uh, like, and I, I, I'm, I, I, just, I keep using societal growth. I need a better phrase than that. But the the negatives that we're seeing from our current system mm. can be somewhat connected to our the system of central banking um, that yep. pushes inflation. Yeah, I think so. It's hard to it's hard to exactly find out 
the mechanisms and like I was reading I was reading Seb uh, Bonnie's book uh, the hidden cost of inflation the yellow one here like he makes that exact case but he doesn't really prove it he doesn't bring the evidence for it I believe he is correct you know like I think the monetary system and the way that we live just incentivizes us to spend like we can't hold the money so we need to get rid of the money uh, so either we buy stocks um, or we you know buy stuff cars vacation and now like yeah. concerts right like we can't hold money we can't just like sit on it because that's a guaranteed loss um so so for sure that either you hold the money and take the loss and so you impoverish you know the people who hold the money and don't know what they're doing or you you inc highly incentivize spending in the now on all sorts of shit and I, th I think that applies not just for a person but also for governments in general like large-scale investments and stuff like politically speaking we have this political apparatus that basically says give me stuff you know i'm going to vote for the person who gives me stuff and i think my my things are important and some we should take from the rich rich and give it to you know student debt cancellation or whatever else the topic might be you know like i, I think all of those things are very much um symptoms or consequences of, of time preference so let me ask this i'm going to kind of pivot a little bit <clears throat> I, I know from you that you're you're very you're very healthy yoga you're very into the outdoors and nature i love that um i've always been um into nature i, I kind of lived right down the road from uh abe lincoln for a while where he grew up and i would travel the the rivers and streams literally right by his place as i was growing up but i was never what you would might call healthy until i got into bitcoin so this is n of one you know anecdotal but maybe not from buying Bitcoin per se, but from studying Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. I've personally adapted not only a low time preference, but like yeah. it's shown up in all areas of my life. My yeah. health is, I'm 46. This is, I'm the healthiest I've been and I'm only right. getting healthier. Same, same. You know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe not the monetary aspect of it, but just that mindset. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Understanding, go ahead. And there's so many, like it cannot be a coincidence. Like, this is not just, like, anecdotal. Because we can start, we, we should make a list, you know, of all people who, who, who've seen Bitcoin change their life like that. Um, and it's going to be massive. Because everybody does that. Because once you start thinking about money that doesn't just melt in your hands and doesn't require you to become a Wall Street gambler, you start thinking that same way in every other aspect of your life. Oh, I only get things if I produce value. Everything, like everything valuable, is proof of work. And if you put in the work and do value before I can receive the rewards, okay, cool. So people hit the gym. People start eating meat. People like cut out the junk food. People take care of their families. <laughs> All of a sudden, you got like a fucking spiritual awakening going on <laughs> because people. And it's like it just started with the money. And <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. I don't know exactly what it is that's happening and what are the mechanisms. But it's definitely but it's, something about like thinking about the long term and like, okay, how do we move value over time? How do I protect value? And uh, that was the thing for me, the money over time. It's like, what is money? It's, um, it's supposed to be a ledger of your effort, you know, your output and time. And I always like to say, I, I used to say all the time, Bitcoin fixes this to literally everything. I was like, yeah, I just yeah, shouting yeah. it from the mountaintop. But now I, I say Bitcoin incentivizes this. <laughs> nice, yeah. And that's kind of what we're talking about here is that there, there is a greater incentive on maximizing my time 
to set me up for better times in the future. You know what I mean? Because the system with Bitcoin's limited supply that can't be changed by people, you know, uh, I can see my energy being stored and just that idea that, oh shit, I can store energy. Yeah. I can build upon that. Yeah. yeah. As opposed to, like you said, that 2%, or 5, 10, whatever that is, it's always going to the here and now. So there, it, it, it's definitely a time. I, I value my time more after studying Bitcoin. Yeah. Regardless of the price of Bitcoin, the dollar price. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You, I, I think it, I do. And I think I definitely trade off more. I don't know if this is a high or low time preference behavior, but I definitely trade off more time to spend. And I'm more careful with how I spend my time. Like, am I going to do... Am I going to do this today? How am I spending? Like, what am I? What am I building? What am I trying to create? And that mindset is so much in my time. I think. I think maybe there's a gender divide here too, because or like a psychology, sex psychology thing going on that you know, men just want to build shit. And <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, but uh, for sure, for sure, there's some like mindset thing going on when you're starting to think about okay, how do I move money into the future? And then, well, I also want to be healthy in the future. How do I move health into the future? Uh, and like you're Love just that. almost obsessed with the future. Um, like how do I? I dig that. And you're obsessed with the future by living in the present moment. Right. Yes. As opposed to stealing from the future. You know, we want to have a better future, so we're going to take from it. And that's that's that in, that's an inflationary it also, it also becomes, it becomes It becomes this weird, like, I don't know how, how, how your personal finances are structured, but I know Jimmy Song has talked about this too. Like I, sh I was shitting on him before. I should, I should say something good about him now. Uh, he has he has this idea that you know we're all culprits of this we're all using the monetary system and we're all like abusing the monetary system like i'm happy to short the currency to get more bitcoin like which is basically what you do every time you take on debt you short the currency um like a lot mm -hmm. of people have mortgages right and mortgage is a perfect example you take on soft monetary debt in a fiat currency to have a hard asset that appreciated over over time and is likely to continue to do that, right? That's shorting the currency. <laughs> like you're short the sovereign, you're short the currency. Like you're trying to you're trying to in increase your own nominal wealth by shorting the currency and basically shitting on people or fucking over people who hold the money. Well, and even more so, it's shorting it further and further into the future, and that's going to be our kids' generation. Mm -hmm. And our kids, kids' generation. So, if you want to be really, I don't know if absolutist is a word or really hardcore, you can just say, by doing that, you're fucking over your future generations. And I don't think people think of it that way. I don't think people, most people, see it that way. When I take on debt, I'm I'm making the future for my kids worse off. Right. Yeah. That, that, that's not exactly right because if you take on debt to like a business taking on debt to build the business. Here we go. That's different. I guess what I'm talking about is more of that personal consumption, entertainment, you know, that kind of stuff, just for personal gains. And the differences because, aren't uh, easy. They aren't that easy to distinguish, right? Like the lines are a little blurry, and a lot of businesses are taking on debt. And you know, like we had this problem in the last couple of years with very low interest rates and malinvestments and all kinds of shitty businesses that shouldn't exist, and they were just spewing money everywhere, right? So, and at some level, 
the macroeconomic, the legacy macroeconomic argument for why inflation is good and money printing is good and um, and, and deficit spending is, is, is good stuff is because spending in the now can create value in the future. So if we take on debt and we do something now, we create like, I don't know, a typical example is a good highway that can connect a couple of cities and then you know, we can have a lot of people moving between them and labor markets get better and that's going to pay off over a long time, but we have to build it in today. But then we take up debt or, you know, print money to do it. Uh, and we get something real that actually benefits the economy over time. And that's the story. And it's kind of plausible. And for a lot of things that, you know, the government or in a, in a, in a, in a world without a government, a, a government-like institution or would take on those, those roles. But like, okay, I'm going to build a road and we're all going to benefit from this thing. There's going to be a public good. We're all going to like derive benefits from it. Like, I live in a mountainous area. Like if somebody wants to build, build a tunnel, to some place, it's a super beneficial to all of us. So we should all pitch in, right? Like I could see you want to take on debt to do that because it benefits people over forty years. So you need some form of like trade off like that. But then, well, and, and which ones? Some of these projects are correct, and some of them are not. And then we get back to the basic economics of how do we figure this out? Usually, with entrepreneurs taking risks and interest rates reflecting the price of time. Um, and if we meddle with the interest rate, then we don't let entrepreneurs fail. Then we don't have the feedback signals anymore. Everything goes to shit and everybody, you know, builds WeWork and, and, and fake meat and all the other crap that we've had in the last few years. You're breaking the measurement yeah, device. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, you can't. Well, and I've even had uh, some, yeah. I've even had some Bitcoiners. Uh, it's not so much debt, but I've seen a lot of Bitcoiners recently. And I'm kind of um, circling back to something where they sell off a lot of their Bitcoin to reinvest in themselves. Right. And to me, that's that's the brass balls right there. That's the total belief in yourself and the total belief in I'm making the future better. Hmm. Right. Because you have to have a pretty high hurdle rate to get over uh, Bitcoin's. Yeah. Uh, rise. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like that Preston Fish interview that he just had on McCormick with uh, talking about micro strategies. Yeah. Uh, oh, man, their strategy. But that's a, that's a conversation for another time. Um, okay, we're coming to the end of this. Uh, is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to touch on for uh, the audience in terms of no. understanding ec economics, uh, inflation? I don't think so. Like we touched on them a little bit. And if you're interested, there are a lot more resources uh, all over the place. Start looking around. Like, I, where, where, should, where should we send people uh, if they want to learn more about economics without going you know, to Oxford or wherever? I've learned, I, I wouldn't say I learned very much economics at Oxford. Um, <laughs> like I, I have this thing that I, that I like to say that the most important thing that I learned at Oxford is that you can have a PhD and still be an idiot. Um, <laughs> um, that's very cute. No, I've learned a lot from the Mises Institute. Shout out to the Mises Institute. Um, I'm also affiliated with uh, another economics institute called American Institute for Economic Research. There's a lot of good economic context, economics con context, content there. Um, mm -hmm. I also very much like there's a Substack that I read religiously by uh, Josh Hendrickson and uh, Brian Albrecht, and they it's called Economic Forces or Price Theory, something like that. Um, and they and, and Josh Hendrickson is a fellow at the the Bitcoin Policy Institute now. What Bitcoin Policy? Yeah, Institute. Um, and they write really really well about price theory and stuff that happens. Uh, and Josh is writing a lot about money these days. Well, and not so much economics, but if you want something to read on Bitcoin besides history, because Bitcoin, um, 
you just uh, finished a book within the last year. You want to give a shout out to Lynn there? Yeah, uh, I was working on Lynn Alden's book. It's absolutely awesome. Um, it is. It is intense. Well, it's this thing. Love it. <laughs> uh, it's heavy. It's approachable. It's serious. It's really good. Um, yeah. I loved working with. What, what are you working on? What are you working on now? Moving into the future, you said uh, you're working with two other guys. You don't want to dox, but yeah, I don't know if I should dox them. But I have a couple of, 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 of things, a couple of people, a couple of manuscripts I'm working on, so uh, they will come out eventually. Um, otherwise, my day job job in the Bitcoin world is basically to do um, copy editing for Bitcoin Magazine, or I also do uh, book reviews for for the print magazine, the physical the physical print. Oh, cool. So shout out again to uh bitcoin magazine but well, we're gonna plug everybody today love it love it beautiful well speaking of plugging what uh where would you where would you like people uh if they want to come and follow you where, where's the best place to follow you uh twitter is fine you can book uh most of my published work is on american institute for economic research i tried to be on Noster, but you know i'm not that good at it. it it's it's a great idea it just hasn't scaled yet i'm i'm still I'm still going there. I'm still trying to help it grow, but uh, it's going to be there eventually. If those of you who don't know Noster, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, awesome. Joaquin, it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. Fun, man. It's nice to finally meet you in, in somewhat person. You know, yeah. I love this. We've been corresponding for, we corresponded for months and months. And I think this is the first time we actually seen face to face. So it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you for coming on Zoom Out. Um, I hope to see you soon. It's fun. Take care.